Well, Svetlana is married and has two children. She's from the administrative city of Zhitomer, which is just two hours west of Kiev. But when Russian troops crossed the border over into Ukraine, Svetlana had to leave her homeland. She had to leave her husband behind, take her two children to try to find a safe place to live. She eventually made it safely to Poland, but while she's there, she doesn't really know how long or even if she'll be able to see her husband again. She doesn't know how long she'll even be able to stay in the place where she is, or if she'll be able to move to a farther away country, farther away from the war. Svetlana is only one of millions of Ukrainian women who've had to leave their homes, leave their husbands behind, and try to find a safe place. It's situations like these that break our hearts, remind us that we live in a still broken and fallen world. We don't really have to look just at Svetlana's life to see this. We can look even in our own life. We can see that we have experienced suffering. Many of you, even recently, have experienced the pain of losing someone you love to death. Some of you experienced what it's like to not really know how you're going to provide for your family. Some of, may have experienced what it feels like to be betrayed by someone you trusted. Well, the Bible tells us that as long as we still live in this world, there will be suffering, there will be hardship. And that's why we pray so often here as a church that Jesus would come soon that he would make all things right and good. But until then, there will be suffering. The story we're going to look at this morning, we find Isaac, the son of Abraham, in a stressful and difficult situation. And it's in the midst of this hardship that that God comes to him. And I think in how God deals with Isaac, we're going to see a picture of how he deals with us, even in our own suffering. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Genesis, chapter 26. The text is also printed out in the worship guide for you. I do encourage you, though, if you have a Bible or if you use the pew Bible in front of you, we'll be flipping around some in Genesis and even some um, in the New Testament later, so I, a whole Bible will be handy for you. First, we'll look at Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 to 6. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. 
and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. The words of the Lord. In these verses, we see Isaac receiving the promises of God, not because of his own obedience, but because of the obedience of his father, Abraham. I believe in this we see a picture of the Christian life, that like Isaac, we receive God's promises, we receive his blessings, not because we have obeyed him, but because somebody else obeyed him. My prayer this morning is that like Isaac, you would walk in greater faithfulness to God, even in the midst of suffering, after encountering Him and receiving His promises. But before we look at how that works out in the Christian life, we're going to see how it plays out in the relationship between Isaac and Abraham. Looking back at Genesis 26, we learn that there was a famine in the land. So Isaac and his family have to move to this city of Gerar. And even though this probably wasn't very far from where Isaac was living at the time, you can probably still imagine how stressful and how difficult this probably was for him. Remember, Abraham, his father, had been abundantly and greatly blessed by God with all kinds of livestock, servants, gold, silver, all the things at this time you could imagine to have, Abraham had. We also learned in chapter 24 when the servant of Abraham goes to try to find a wife for Isaac, his son, the servant tells Rebekah and her family that my master has been blessed by God richly and he's going to give everything he has to his son Isaac. And not only that, we learn in chapter 25 that Isaac now has two sons and Rebekah, his wife, to care for. So Isaac has all of this responsibility. He must now transport all of these people and animals to a foreign land. Five years ago, I moved from East Texas to Greenwood, Indiana. I packed everything I could fit in my little blue truck and drove the 16, 17 hours north. Katie, my wife, was very kind to me, and she flew down to Texas and drove up with me. But even if just having us two there and the few belongings I had in the truck, it was still a very stressful and worrisome time. I remember driving down freeway thinking, what's going to blow out of the back of my truck? I'm going to lose forever. Uh, stopping for lunch and thinking, you know, is somebody going to steal something valuable? My guitar. Somebody going to steal my guitar out of the back of my truck while I'm eating this barbecue sandwich. Even though it was just Katie and I, I was, I was still worried. I was still stressed at the situation. So I can only imagine what Isaac is feeling at this moment. Right? I could see him walking down, seeing this next corner, thinking, all right, this is it. This is when this group's going to 
come out of the rocks and attack us, gonna kill my family, take all the herd, take all my gold and all my silver. You can imagine him thinking constantly, you know, is Jacob, is Esau okay? Is Rebecca safe? Am I gonna lose the whole livestock that I have as we go through this valley? And to add to this situation, we have to remember that Abraham had just recently died. So Isaac doesn't have his father to rely on or to ask for advice. He couldn't call his dad up on the phone and ask, hey dad, this is a tough situation. Should I even leave? Where should I go? What should I do? It was just him. So with all this happening, Isaac might be thinking to himself, what's going on? God told my father that he would give us this land, that we would grow and have abundant blessing. So why are we in this famine? Why am I having to move from this promised land to this foreign country? What is happening? What is going on? Well, it's in the middle of this hardship, the middle of this uncertainty, that God comes to Isaac. And as a kind and caring counselor, God comes alongside Isaac and gives him his good and gracious promises. Let's read again, in, beginning in verse 2. It says, And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God tells Isaac to stay in this foreign land and he will bless him. He will be with him. He will fulfill all the promises that he had made to his father Abraham through him. As we read through some of those promises, hopefully several of them stood out to you because many, if not most, of these promises were given to Abraham at some point in his life. One of these promises is that Isaac and his offspring will inherit all these lands. He says in verse 3, For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And again, later in verse 4, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. We see God first promise Abraham this land way back in Genesis 12. If you want to flip there with me. Genesis 12. Look at verses 6 and 7. Abraham was, at this time, still had the name Abram. The word says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. 
Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Another promise we see in Genesis 26 is the multiplication of Isaac's offspring. God tells Isaac in verse 4 of chapter 26, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. We see God again give this same promise to Abraham, even using the same comparison of numbering his offspring as the stars in the sky. We see this in chapter 15 of Genesis, in chapter 15, verse 5. It says, And he, that is God, brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. God also promises Isaac that through his offspring, blessing will come to all nations. Genesis 26.4 says, And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And again, Abraham receives this same promise in Genesis 12, where God says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So after experiencing the loss of his father, after having to be forced to move from his homeland by famine to this foreign country, Isaac hears from God himself that everything he promised to Abraham, he would give to him. But not only that, God promises Isaac something that we haven't heard him say yet before. He tells him in verse 3, I will be with you and will bless you. I will be with you and will bless you. Not only does God promise the blessings given to Abraham, He promises His very own presence to be with Isaac. In the grief of his father's death, God will be with him. In the midst of this foreign land, God will be with him. What an amazing promise for Isaac to hear. He doesn't have to worry or be afraid because God will be with him. But why does all of this, all of these great promises, these great blessings, why do they come to Isaac? We see God gives a reason in verse 5. God says, Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Isaac is receiving these promises because his father was faithfully obedient to God. It's not because of anything Isaac had done, but because of the obedience of his father. Now we know that Abraham wasn't perfect. He made some, some may say many mistakes. But notice how God surveys his life. He says, Abraham obeyed my voice. He kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws, Oh, to be known by God as someone who followed all of His commands, who did all that He said to do. 
Probably the greatest example of Abraham's obedience can be found in Genesis chapter 22. If you would turn there with me. We won't read the whole story again, but God tells Abraham to take his son, his only son Isaac, to the top of the mountain and to sacrifice him there. So what does Abraham do? He takes his son, his only son Isaac, to the top of the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. And while Abraham is about to slaughter his son, the angel of the Lord cries out, Abraham, Abraham! Stops him from killing his son. And God provides a ram for Abraham to sacrifice and tells him, that he will surely bless him because he did not withhold his only son from him. And in verse 18 of chapter 22, we even see the same phrase that God used in Genesis 26.5. God tells Abraham that he will surely give him all of these blessings because you have obeyed my voice. Speaking of Abraham's obedient faith, even the Apostle Paul says in Romans 4, verses 20 to 21, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Later, the writer of Hebrews also says of Abraham's faith in Hebrews 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. In verse 17, he says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Abraham had faith in God. And he showed that faith by doing what God told him to do. And now, because of his faithfulness, because of his obedience, Isaac is now receiving the promises of God. The people of Israel who would have read this, they would have made this connection. They would have identified with Isaac here, saying something like, oh, we are blessed not because we're obedient, but because Father Abraham was obedient. Thank God Abraham was obedient. So how is this a picture? How is the relationship between Isaac and Abraham a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ? What's this got to do with us receiving the promises of God? Well, just as Isaac receives the promises of God because of Abraham's faithful obedience, the New Testament teaches that we receive even better promises from God because of the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ, our Savior. While Abraham was obedient to God, he was not perfect, but Jesus was obedient and perfect. The New Testament teaches in several places, that Jesus 
perfectly obeys God the Father all throughout his life to his death. And even now as he sits enthroned, resurrected on his throne. We're going to look at a few different New Testament passages. I encourage you to jot these down, um, read these sometime later this afternoon or evening. But the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us of Jesus being led into the desert, being tempted by Satan himself for 40 days. And in all of these accounts, Jesus withstands the devil, never yielding to his temptations. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus says of his own relationship to God the Father, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And then later in John 18, as the religious leaders turn Jesus over to Governor Pilate in order to be crucified, Pilate says of Jesus in verse 38, I find no guilt in him. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul describes Jesus as him who knew no sin. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In Hebrews 7.26 tells that Jesus is a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. 1 Peter 2.22 tells us that he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 1 John 3.5 says, in him that is in Jesus, there is no sin. Friends, Jesus is perfect. He always and completely obeyed God throughout his life here on earth, all the way to the cross. He is holy and righteous. He never had an impure thought. He never lusted after his neighbor's wife. He never lied. He never talked about somebody behind their back. He always did. He always does the right thing. Why does this matter? Why does it matter to us? that Jesus never sinned. It matters because you and I have sinned. We have rebelled against God. We are unholy, stained, and guilty. And because of our sin, we deserve death. We deserve to be eternally separated from God, never to look at His holiness. This is where Jesus' obedience comes in. Friend, if you have trusted in Jesus, then at the cross, He took on your sin. He bore your sinful life so that He could give you His perfect one. At the cross, God looked on Jesus and punished Him because of your sin. And he now looks at you and sees his son's perfect and complete obedience. He says, because Jesus obeyed my voice, because he kept my charge, you will be blessed. This is what Paul teaches when he says in Romans 5, 
verses 18 and 19. If you would turn there with me. Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. Paul says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Because of Adam's sin in the garden, we are all made sinners. But because of Jesus Christ's obedience in the desert, in the garden, and on the cross, you are made righteous. Because Jesus perfectly kept the commandments of God, you can now receive the promises of God. This again is why Paul can say with confidence in Ephesians chapter 1 that those of you who who are in Christ, who have been counted righteous before God because of Jesus' obedience, that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that you were chosen by Him before the foundation of the world, that you should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined you for adoption as sons. In Christ, you have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of of your trespasses. In Him you have received an eternal inheritance even better than Isaac's. In Him you have received the promised Holy Spirit who now dwells within you. O Christian, all you have only comes to you because Jesus Christ lived a perfectly obedient life for you. Because Jesus obeyed the voice of God, because He kept His charge, His commandments, His statutes, and His laws, you have and will receive all the blessings of God. So what should our response be? What should your response be to this glorious truth? Well, let's look again at Genesis 26 to see what Isaac did. Genesis 26 verse 6 says, So Isaac settled in Gerar. In these five words, we see what our response should be. And after receiving the promises of God because of Abraham's obedience, Isaac obeys God in faith. God had told him in verse 2 to not go down to Egypt, but to sojourn, to stay, to live even as a stranger in this land. So like Abraham before him, Isaac had faith in God, and he did what he said. Friend, after hearing God's promises given to you in Christ, may this also be your response. May you also place all of your faith and trust in this God and do what He says. 
If you're a Christian this morning, this means that even in the midst of your suffering, God is with you. And even when your nation is attacked by a foreign country and you have to flee your home to flee your husband, God is with you. Even when someone who is a rock in your life dies, God is with you. Even when you lose your job and you aren't sure how you're going to provide for your family, God is with you. Trust in Him. Cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and believe the promises that God has given you in Him. I think there is encouragement here too for the Christian who might be here struggling and battling with a specific sin in your life. You may be tempted to think, how could God look on me and be pleased? How could He see me, know what I've done, and love me? Oh friend, God wants you to know that if you truly trust in His Son Jesus, that when He looks on you, all He sees is His perfect Son's righteousness. He has given you all you need to overcome sin in your life. He has given you His very Spirit to dwell inside you. He adopted you as His child. Let this lead you to walk in even greater faithfulness and obedience to Him. And if you're not a Christian this morning, God is calling you to place your faith in the only one who lived a perfect life. He is calling you to trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your sins. I have to warn you, if you do not trust in this perfect one, then when God looks on you, He still sees your sin. And if you continue to reject Him, you will spend eternity paying for that sin. I plead with you this morning, turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus Christ's perfect obedience on your behalf and experience the glorious blessings He offers you. Church, let's pray together and ask God to give us even greater faith.